Letter twenty nine of Clarissa Harlowe, Volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Clarissa Harlowe, Volume two, by Samuel Richardson. Letter twenty nine. Miss Clarissa Harlowe to Miss Howe, Saturday, April first. Hasty censures do indeed subject themselves to the charge of variableness and inconsistency in judgment. And so they ought. For if you, even you, my dear, were so loath to own a mistake, as in the instance before us you pretend you were, I believe I should not have loved you so well as I really do love you. Nor could you, in that case, have so frankly thrown the reflection I hint at upon yourself, had not your mind been one of the most ingenuous that ever woman boasted. Mr. Lovelace has faults enow to deserve very severe censure, although he be not guilty of this. If I were upon such terms with him as he could wish me to be, I should give him such a hint, that this treacherous Joseph Leman cannot be so much attached to him, as perhaps he thinks him to be. If it were, he would not have been so ready to report to his disadvantage, and to Betty Barnes, too, this slight affair of the pretty rustic. Joseph has engaged Betty to secrecy, promising to let her and her young master to know more, when he knows the whole of the matter. And this hinders her from mentioning it, as she is nevertheless agog to do, to my sister or brother. And then she does not choose to disoblige Joseph, for although she pretends to look above him, she listens, I believe, to some love-stories he tells her. Women having it not in their power to begin a courtship, some of them very frequently, I believe, lend an ear where their hearts incline not. But to say no more of these low people, neither of whom I think tolerably of, I must needs own that, as I should for ever have despised this man, had he been capable of such a vile intrigue in his way to Harlow Place, and as I believe he was capable of it, it has indeed, I own it has, proportionably engaged my generosity, as you call it, in his favour, perhaps more than I may have reason to wish it had. And rally me as you will, pray tell me fairly, my dear, would it not have had such an effect upon you? Then the real generosity of the act, I protest, my beloved friend, if he would be good for the rest of his life from this time, I would forgive him a great many of his past errors, were it only for the demonstration he has given in this, that he is capable of so good and bountiful a manner of thinking. You may believe I made no scruple to open his letter, after the receipt of your second on this subject, nor shall I of answering it, as I have no reason to find fault with it. An article in his favour procured him, however, so much the easier, I must own, by way of amends for the undue displeasure I took against him, though he knows it not. Is it lucky enough that this matter was cleared up to me by your friendly diligence so soon? For had I written before it was, it would have been to reinforce my dismission of him, and perhaps I should have mentioned the very motive, for it affected me more than I think it ought, and then, what an advantage would that have given him, when he could have cleared up the matter so happily for himself? When I send you this letter of his, you will see how very humble he is, what acknowledgments of natural impatience, what confession of faults, as you prognosticated. A very different appearance, I must own, all these make, now the story of the pretty rustic is cleared up, to what they would have made, had it not. You will see how he accounts to me, that he could not, by reason of indisposition, come for my letter in person, and the forward creature labours the point, as if he thought I should be uneasy that he did not. I am indeed sorry he should be ill on my account, and I will allow that the suspense he has been in for some time past must have been vexatious enough to so impatient a spirit, but all is owing originally to himself. You will find him, in the presumption of being forgiven, full of contrivances and expedients for my escaping my threatened compulsion. I have always said that, next to being without fault, is the acknowledgment of a fault, 
since no amendment can be expected where an error is defended. But you will see in this very letter, an haughtiness even in his submissions. Tis true I know not where to find fault as to the expression, yet cannot I be satisfied that his humility is humility, or even an humility upon such conviction as one should be pleased with. To be sure, he is far from being a polite man, yet is not directly and characteristically, as I may say, unpolite. But his is such a sort of politeness as has, by a carelessness founded on very early indulgence, and perhaps on too much success in riper years, and an arrogance built upon both, grown into assuredness, and of course, I may say, into indelicacy. The distance you recommend at which to keep these men is certainly right in the main. Familiarity destroys reverence. But with whom? Not with those, surely, who are prudent, grateful, and generous. But it is very difficult for persons who would avoid running into one extreme to keep clear of another. Hence Mr. Lovelace, perhaps, thinks it the mark of a great spirit to humour his pride, though at the expense of his politeness. But can the man be a deep man, who knows not how to make such distinctions as a person of but moderate parts cannot miss? He complains heavily of my readiness to take mortal offence at him, and to dismiss him for ever. It is a high conduct, he says, he must be frank enough to tell me, a conduct that must be very far from contributing to allay his apprehensions of the possibility that I may be prosecuted into my relation's measures in behalf of Mr. Solmes. You will see how he puts his present and his future happiness with regard to both worlds entirely upon me. The ardour with which he vows and promises, I think the heart only can dictate. How else can one guess at a man's heart? You will also see that he has already heard of the interview I am to have with Mr. Solmes, and with what vehemence and anguish he expresses himself on the occasion. I intend to take proper notice of the ignoble means he stoops to, to come at his early intelligence of our family. If persons pretending to principle bear not their testimony against unprincipled actions, what check can they have? You will see how passionately he presses me to oblige him with a few lines before the interview between Mr. Solmes and me takes place, if, as he says, it must take place, to confirm his hope that I have no view in my present displeasure against him to give encouragement to Solmes, an apprehension, he says, that he must be excused for repeating, especially as the interview is a favour granted to that man, which I have refused to him, since, as he infers, were it not with such an expectation, why should my friends press it? I have written, and to this effect, that I had never intended to write another line to a man who could take upon himself to reflect upon my sex and myself, for having thought fit to make use of my own judgment. I tell him that I have submitted to the interview with Mr. Solmes, purely as an act of duty, to shew my friends that I will comply with their commands as far as I can, and that I hope, when Mr. Solmes himself shall see how determined I am, he will cease to prosecute a suit in which it is impossible he should succeed with my consent. I assure him that my aversion to Mr. Solmes is too sincere to permit me to doubt myself on this occasion, but nevertheless he must not imagine that my rejecting of Mr. Solmes is in favour to him that I value my freedom and independency too much, if my friends will but leave me to my own judgment, to give them up to a man so uncontrollable, and who shews me beforehand what I have to expect from him, were I in his power. I express my high disapprobation of the methods he takes to come at what passes in a private family. The pretence of corrupting other people's servants, by way of reprisal for the spies they have set upon him, I tell him is a very poor excuse, and no more than an attempt to justify one meanness by another. There is, I observe to him, a right and a wrong in everything. Let people put what glosses they please upon their action. To condemn a deviation, and to follow it by as great a one, 
what i ask him is this but propagating a general corruption a stand must be made somebody turn round the evil as many as may or virtue will be lost and shall it not be i a worthy mind would ask that shall make this stand i leave him to judge whether his be a worthy one tried by this rule and whether knowing the impetuosity of his own disposition and the improbability there is that my father and family will ever be reconciled to him i ought to encourage his hopes these spots and blemishes i further tell him give me not earnestness enough for any sake but his own to wish him in a juster and nobler train of thinking and acting for that i truly despise many of the ways he allows himself in our minds are therefore infinitely different and as to his professions of reformation i must tell him that profuse acknowledgments without amendment are but to me as so many anticipating concessions which he may find much easier to make than either to defend himself or amend his errors i inform him that i have been lately made acquainted and so i have by betty and she by my brother with the weak and wanton airs he gives himself of declaiming against matrimony i severely reprehend him on this occasion and ask him with what view he can take so witless so despicable a liberty in which only the most abandoned of men allow themselves and yet presume to address me i tell him that if i am obliged to go to my uncle antony's it is not to be inferred that i must therefore necessarily be mr solmes's wife since i must therefore be so sure perhaps that the same exceptions lie so strongly against my quitting a house to which i shall be forcibly carried as if i left my father's house and at the worst i may be able to keep them in suspense till my cousin morden comes who will have a right to put me in possession of my grandfather's estate if i insist upon it this i doubt is somewhat of an artifice which can only be excusable as it is principally designed to keep him out of mischief for i have but little hope if carried thither whether sensible or senseless absolutely if i am left to the mercy of my brother and sister but they will endeavour to force the solemn obligation upon me otherwise were there but any prospect of avoiding this by delaying or even by taking things to make me ill if nothing else would do till my cousin comes i hope i should not think of leaving even my uncle's house for i should not know how to square it to my own principles to dispense with the duty i owe to my father wherever it shall be his will to place me but while you give me the charming hope that in order to avoid one man i shall not be under the necessity of throwing myself upon the friends of the other i think my case not desperate i see not any of my family nor hear from them in any way of kindness this looks as if they themselves expected no great matters from the tuesday's conference which makes my heart flutter every time i think of it my uncle antony's presence on the occasion i do not much like but i had rather meet him than my brother or sister yet my uncle is very impetuous i can't think mr lovelace can be much more so at least he cannot look angry as my uncle with his harder features can these sea-prospered gentlemen as my uncle has often made me think not used to any but elemental control and even ready to buffet that bluster often as violently as the winds they are accustomed to be angry at i believe mr solmes will look as much like a fool as i shall do if it be true as my uncle harlow writes and as betty often tells me that he is as much afraid of seeing me as i am of seeing him adieu my happy thrice happy miss howe who have no hard terms fixed to your duty who have nothing to do but to fall in with the choice your mother has made for you to which you have not nor can have a just objection except the frowardness of our sex as our free censurers would perhaps take the liberty to say makes it one that the choice was your mother's at first hand perverse nature we know loves not to be prescribed to although youth is not so well qualified either by sedateness or experience to choose for itself to know your own happiness and that it is now 
nor to leave it to after reflection to look back upon the preferable past with a heavy and self-accusing heart that you did not choose it when you might have chosen it is all that is necessary to complete your felicity and this power is wished you by your clarissa harlowe end of letter twenty nine